0: Charlie Hello and
1: welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome, for the very first time, on our show, Edward Brown, responsible for investor relations at Pacific Private Money. They are an alternative source for real estate loans, and he speaks to us from the San Francisco Bay Area in California. Edward, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
0: Thank you, Charlie. Pleasure to be with you.
1: So Edward, Pacific private money raises funds from investors, lends it on real estate secured by property, and the specialty is owner-occupied properties. And in addition to that, you are a radio talk show host, which makes you immediately suspect here. So let's begin (laughs) with uh, a brief background of yours here, Edward.
0: Okay. Uh, so, as you mentioned, I, I do host, I actually host two radio shows. One's called The Best of Investing, and the other one is a national sports show called Sports Econ 101, where we talk about uh, sports and business and how, how that relates. Um, uh, currently, uh, the in the Investor Relations Department at Pacific Private Money, which we'll go into further, but my background is I have a bachelor's in accounting and a master's in taxation from Golden Gate University. Um, I've also done a lot of teaching and lecturing uh, being an adjunct professor, lecturer for banks, real estate, stock brokerage firms, uh, done some television with regard to being uh, on CNN uh, as an expert a uh, couple, uh, two different times. Um, i also have written a lot of articles that have been published in a lot of magazines. Uh, but the, and it's kind of interesting because I've been also an expert witness in arbitration and court cases dealing with investments, uh, probably because uh, my background, I have a Series 7, I used to have either currently or formally had a Series 7 securities license, life and disability insurance license, certified fund specialist, a California real estate sales license, and a California tax preparer. And one interesting thing um, that kind of put a feather in my cap, I guess, is I was, uh, two things. One, I was uh, appointed by the Department of Justice in 1993 to serve as the chairman of the Shareholder Equity Committee to protect 29,000 shareholders representing a $500 million REIT that had gone bankrupt, um, and also I was an expert witness uh, consultant regarding tax returns and fraudulent financial statements um, in the largest judgment in U.S. history against a gun manufacturer. And I'm not anti-gun. It just, I was just brought in as an expert uh, because of my, uh, you know, taxation and accounting background, um, and my spreadsheets were published in the United States bankruptcy court proceedings. So that's kind of a background on me.
1: Okay, appreciate it. So tell us about uh, Pacific Private Money, basically what you guys do and what your basic
0: strategy is. Okay, so we imagine us exactly like a bank, uh, except that we can work a lot faster than a bank because we don't have all the bureaucracy of, you know, seven levels of approval, et cetera. Uh, so we raise money from the public, very similar, if you can imagine us, very similar to a mutual fund, but instead of having uh, stocks and bonds, we have mortgages as our investment.
1: And uh, you require and, that the, uh, the investors be accredited investors, correct?
0: That is correct. But okay. we do have a, an additional website called privatemoneyloans.com where people can purchase loans from us where they don't have to be accredited. Yields would be a little bit lower than if they were in the fund, but it's a way for unaccredited investors to invest. Okay,
1: so you raise money from these investors and then uh, uh, to make real estate loans. And how does that process work?
0: Borrower will come to us usually from either a, a bank. We actually get referrals from banks because a lot of times bank turn downs. They don't want to just ter- tell their client or customer, uh, sorry, we can't help you. They'll say, gee, you know, there's another company out there that might be able to lend you money for your real estate called Pacific Private Money. So we'll get real estate uh, referrals from banks mortgage brokers. Every once in a while the general public will just know about us, but uh, realtors will find us because a lot of times, as you mentioned before with regard to the personal residences that we do, because we have that specialty. uh, If you can imagine being a realtor and trying to purchase, uh, you know, help your client purchase a house, but they haven't sold the old house yet. So the bank has usually said, gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Potential borrower, uh, you don't qualify for two mortgages. Sell your house first and then buy your next house. Well, that doesn't work for a lot of people because they don't want to move twice. And, you know, they might lose out on the potential purchase because, you know, property moves fairly quickly nowadays. So what we can do is come in and help them purchase the new house. And then gives that that gives them time to go ahead and sell the old house. Uh, if I can give you a quick example. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a situation where there was an older couple who owned a house Free and clear. That was worth two million dollars. They were downsizing. They wanted to go from a two-story house to a one-story house. So the house that they wanted to buy was a million two. They had so they lived on Social Security plus a little bit of investment income, and unfortunately, the bank said, "Gee, you don't qualify for a loan uh, that you know for a million two house." Well, again, and this house happened to actually be down the street from where they lived. Again, they didn't want to move twice. They wanted to just. Buy the house and then give themselves time to fix up their old house and sell it. Well, we were able, ordinarily, we'll lend up to 70% loan to value. But in this case, we actually were able to lend them 100% of the target price, the million two, because we took a first mortgage on the million two house, the target property, and cross collateralized it with the old property. So our loan to value was about roughly 36%, I think the figure is. And so it was a very conservative loan for us, and it solved the problem for the borrower to go ahead and buy the new house, and that gave them time to go ahead and uh, sell their old house after they were able to fix it up.
1: So are they all owner-occupied, or are some of them other than owner-occupied?
0: We'll do a lot non-owner-occupied. We just have a specialty of owner-occupied because uh, we've spent the money, a lot of uh, private real estate state lenders are not in the space that we're in because it's expensive. I mean, you got to pay for the software, the legal, uh, the continuing education, the extra licenses, and a lot of, uh, other real estate people don't, you know, lenders don't want to do that. Well, we did spend the money for all of that stuff. And so our specialty is the owner occupied uh, personal residences. However, we do a lot in the residential rental, commercial rental. Again, imagine, everything a bank does with regard to real estate loans, uh, except that we, we don't do really the weird esoteric ones like, you know, cemeteries and stuff like that.
1: And so uh, typically these loans have about an approximate duration of what?
0: So we have a special 11-month bridge loan for the owner-occupied loans. There are special rules with Dodd-Frank uh, that you have to follow. Uh, but generally speaking, our normal loans run one to three years, every once in a while we'll do a five-year loan and in a rare instances we actually have done 30-year loan and the reason we've done that is our interest rates are obviously higher than a bank's. and if we are confident that the borrower will be able to refinance us out in let's say two years uh, but the person actually needs the borrower needs a longer-term loan just in case we're fine making a longer-term loan knowing the back of our mind you know, nobody wants to pay our high interest rates when they can refinance in a bank.
1: And so are these only on residences or do you do any commercial?
0: No, we'll do commercial. You know, we'll do apartment buildings, industrial buildings, R and D um, office buildings.
1: Okay. And and how is the property secured? You said uh, one was a first trustee. I presume they're typically second trust deeds.
0: How is it? secured? Uh, um, well, actually most of our loans are first trustees. However, we will do a second. In fact, in, in a couple of instances, we've actually done a third mortgage. And that, and that kind of brings me to the point of, you know, uh, I think one of your questions that you're going to ask me is, uh, you know, the misperceptions uh, that investors have uh, about, you know, what we do. And some people will automatically hear a second mortgage and they'll say, oh, it's too risky. I say, well, we we'll back up for just a minute. So I did a loan in Orange County, my, my son went to uh, Chapman University, so he, his, the property was literally within a mile of where he went to school and the, the borrower needed a $79,000 second mortgage and the borrower said, I think my property is worth 315000 and I told my son, you know, drive down, the, down drive the property, take a look at it, drive the neighborhood, tell me what you think the property is worth. And he said the property is worth at least 300,000. I said, okay. So this person needed a $79,000 second mortgage because they needed to fix the roof and et cetera, et cetera. Now the big question is how much was the first mortgage? Well in this case, the first mortgage was $19,000. So the combined 19,000 plus 79,000 was 98,000 dollars. I was in a very, very well secured position in second position, and if anything happened, I would just go ahead and pay off the first. But because it was a second mortgage, it commanded a higher interest rate. And back then, that was just a few years ago. The interest rate was 10.99 percent. So I'll do those kind of loans all day long. <laughs> I just, you know, in fact, I'd much rather do a second like that than a first of, you know, 150000 on the same property. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right.
1: But, but Edward, uh, that's a different scenario than you painted previously. Why was, in that scenario, the borrower willing to go to you and pay a higher interest
0: rate than
1: going to a bank? They,
0: this borrower did not want to disturb the first mortgage. It was an extremely low interest rate. And, and so uh, they didn't want to uh, disturb it. So okay. they decided it was smarter for them to just get a second mortgage at a short term period rather than get a whole new brand new mortgage with me because remember once they paid me off then they were going to have to refinance again so it, it, was, it was better for them to keep uh, a low first mortgage and we've had that situation before uh, not to this degree with only a $19,000 first but we've had situations where the first mortgage was a, a, such a fantastic first mortgage you know two and three quarters percent for 25 years left to go on their 30-year loan. And, you know, it's just too good a loan to uh, to have them want to pay off.
1: So uh, how does an investor invest in something like this? Uh, are these pooled? An investor invests into a pool or do they invest into a particular property? Is it with other people in that single property or is it by themselves? Uh, how does it work for the investor?
0: Okay, so we have basically two different kinds of programs. One, we do have what they call one-off deals. So there'd be a situation where you know, one investor or maybe two investors would take down a specific loan. We still have that program, but we're primarily doing the fund, which again is very similar to a mutual fund where you have a pool of mortgages where the manager decides, just like in a mutual fund, the manager decides which stocks to buy. In this case, the manager decides uh, you know, which mortgages he's going to go ahead and fund. And I'll tell you, the reason that we started the fund was some years back, the uh, uh, Mark Kant, who's the president of Pacific Private Money, he was doing one-off type deals. And so he didn't actually have the money himself. He was basically brokering them. And what would end up happening is, let's say a borrower comes, and it's, a, it's just an absolute slam dunk type of deal. The catch is the, deal, the, the loan has to close in 10 days. So what Mark would do is he would say, okay, yes, I, I'll go ahead and I'll make sure that, uh, you know, lock this down. I'll get you your money in 10 days. Well, now the clock starts ticking. And what he would do is he would send out a blast email to maybe, let's say, 50 clients who he knew had, let's say the loan was 300000 who had $300,000 to invest. And maybe, let's say, 20 minutes later, five people would say, that's fantastic. I'll take it. Well, what ends up happening is only one person would get it and now he's got to tell four people, gee, I'm sorry, you're too late. And as an investor myself, I've had that situation where brokers have done that to me and I'm fairly sophisticated. I can make a decision in, in five minutes, whether or not I want to do a deal. And it it's very frustrating when you tell the broker I'll take it and he says, gee, I'm sorry, you're too late. You say, I, I, I only had it for five minutes. Come on, give me enough time to, you know, to analyze this, right? So it doesn't take too many scenarios like that where investors start saying, you know what, stop sending me deals. So Mark was starting to have some clients who were getting a little bit frustrated on that situation, and he decided, you know what the best thing to do is to start a fund, have people invest in the fund, and then that way the fund will have first crack at any of these deals, and then if the fund is, you know, not liquid at the time, then he can go back to those investors and say, okay, you know, who wants uh, a piece of this action or who, you know, who wants this loan in its entirety.
1: And so uh, tell us who, who the investors are. Are they uh, uh, individuals? Are they advisors with clients? Are they family offices, hedge funds, institutions? Who, who
0: invests with you um, guys? Okay, so right now we're about a $42 million fund. Uh, so we're not quite large enough for the institutions. Uh, we'll have individuals, uh, retirement accounts, uh, registered investment advisors love us because they don't really have to babysit the fund from the standpoint of, you know, it's not a mutual fund that is, uh, you know, changes NAV every single day, right? I mean, the mortgages right. are the mortgages. Right. Um, so, you know, the registered investment advisors love us. Um, the, you know, individual investors looking for high income with relatively low risk. And, and you guys we pay out retirement our- accounts.
1: You guys pay out quarterly, monthly? Monthly, monthly. We, we
0: pay monthly. And because it's a fund, the, uh, you have the choice of whether or not to take the money each month or have it reinvested like you would in a mutual fund to buy more shares. So you get a compounded yield.
1: And so what are the major objections and concerns by potential investors in investing in this?
0: The first question is, you know, why would anybody come to you instead of going to a bank? these loans must be risky. And so let me throw in another story here. Uh, A few years ago, there was a, an executive of a very uh, powerful computer company named after a fruit. Okay. I think you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, This guy, this is the first time I'd ever seen this in my life. His W2 income, was larger than the amount he wanted to borrow. <laughs> he only wanted to borrow eight hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars and yet he made one point three million dollars on his W two. It's verified. Okay. He was buying a house for a million two sixty nine. He was putting four hundred thousand dollars down and he wanted to borrow eight hundred and sixty nine thousand. So the ratio I think it was, you know, sixty nine percent or something. So it fit within, you know, our criteria. He also had $5 million worth of this company's stock, all <laughs> right? He yeah. didn't need a company like us. I mean, there's no way, right? So he right. goes ahead and he, he goes to a major, uh, his broker went to a, you know, a major bank, and he was getting a fantastic rate, and everything was fine. And he had three months to close this deal. The, he put down a $50,000 non-refundable deposit. The seller right. told him, listen, you absolutely have to close by April 30th because, I'm buying another piece of property myself and I need the money for that. So you better close on time or else I'm going to keep your money. He said, Oh yeah, I got three months to close. No problem. Well, two weeks before the three months deadline, the uh, broker calls him up and says, you know what? The bank just pulled out of the deal. He says, you kidding? Why? He says, well, the, the higher up uh, compliance department, just due diligence department just realized, you've only worked for that big company for 18 months. You haven't worked there for two years. Ah. Says, yeah, I know, but wait hold on. He says, I, I worked for XYZ company for nine years before, and I was making $900,000 a year. The reason I went to this other company was they gave me a 50% raise. It just so happened it was 18 months ago. And they said, yes, I know, but the bank says, unless you have two years at that company, they're not going to make you the loan. They'll absolutely be delighted in six months to make you the loan because you'll have had uh, two to full years there. Goes, uh, that yeah, makes what me. What about all my
1: stock? That makes and, me and feel and said, bad. I've never worked for a bank here, Edward. So keep going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so said, Wait, what about the what about the stock I have? And he says, well, it's restricted 144 stock, and you know this this trillion dollar company may you know could go bankrupt. <laughs> I don't know, right? So this guy he's looking at the, he steps back to the equation. He says, okay, here's my situation. I need eight hundred sixty nine thousand. Uh, I'm gonna, if I don't close in two weeks. Not only do I lose my dream home, but I lose my $50,000 non-refundable deposit. Yeah. So he comes to us. We uh, closed the deal with him. We charged him, I think, nine and three quarters percent and a couple of points. And then with no prepayment penalty. And then sure enough, six months later and a day, he finally qualifies and he cashes us out. So, you know, you have these situations where you say, uh, you know, people, the objections, you know, going back to your question, you know, why would people object? They said, well, you know, why would a guy like that need a loan from you? Well, here's a good scenario. You know, he just hadn't worked there long enough. We have situations where people have uh, are self-employed, and banks do not like self-employed. Especially, you know, we had a situation where a guy made eight hundred thousand dollars one year. The next year, he made five hundred thousand. Now, in order to qualify for a realistic loan, he only needed income of about three hundred thousand. But the bank says, "Gee, you know, you made eight hundred. Now you made five hundred. You're on a downward spin." And so they decided not to make him alone. oh, my goodness. and, and yet he's still qualified for it, so that's that's part of the objections uh you know people get yeah. kind of leery. uh I'll tell you one quick thing too is when we we started the the fund back in two thousand and three, and then I can't remember or, or, yeah two thousand three, and I can't remember when the Bernie Madoff thing came off, but you know I think it was like two thousand five or something where it kind of you know yeah it was two
1: thousand eight, right? yeah. Go
0: ahead. 2000 Yeah, it was a little after that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We started the fund in 2013. I apologize. Oh, okay. okay. But by, but by 2015, let's say 15, you know, the Bernie Madoff thing was still there. And, you know, yeah. people look at yeah. alternative investments and they, they get all wigged out about it, right? Yeah. And they say, you know, how do, how do we know you're not Bernie Madoff? I said, well, you know what? That's a, that's a very legitimate question. So now what I personally did before helping Mark on start the fund at Pacific Private Money, I, uh, you know, when he, excuse me he had had uh, about 40 loans in the portfolio. I went to my old title officer who I did a lot of business with. And I said, you know what? I said, people are going to wonder, you know, where the, the, the proof is in the pudding on this. I said, would you be kind enough to pull preliminary title reports on half the loans we have? And you pick the loans. I'm not going to pick them. And you tell me whether or not when we say we've got a $300,000 deed of trust on one, two, three main street, San Francisco, that we actually have it recorded. And sure enough, all 20 of them that you pulled were recorded. So, you know, I tell him, I said, you know, it's kind of a trust and verify. I said, we're, we're an open book. We will show you exactly every loan that we have, the address, the amount, you can look it up for yourself. You can call your own title officer to make sure that when we say we have this, that we really do so that the assets backing what we say we have are really there versus, you know, the Bernie Madoff situation, I think he just kind of handed pieces of paper out and said, hey, your account's worth a million dollars. Now it's worth $2 million, you know, not, not backed by anything. And here's the funny thing is I tell people, I, I said, now I'm going to say this kind of tongue in cheek, okay? But when you, you know, Vanguard is a fine company and they're, they, I think they manage, if I'm not mistaken, $7 trillion, okay? When they send out a big prospectus that says they own, you know, a million shares of Facebook and 2 million shares of IBM or whatever, how do you know they own it? just because it's on a piece of paper, I mean, you'd literally have to go to the registrar's office to say, but prove to me that you actually own this. Now, I'm not really challenging Vanguard because I'm I'm sure they're a fine company, you know, but it's kind of nice to say that when we say this $42 million fund that we have, we can show you exactly where all the money is. You know, there's the objection of the, uh, gee, how do we know you're not Bernie Madoff? Okay, well, well, there you go. One other objection is, you know, uh, like a tip, I'm just kind of compare, comparing this to a conventional investment like a, a mutual fund where people say, well, what's, what's the liquidity? You know, I can just call my broker up and say, sell my mutual fund. You'd think, okay, well, these are illiquid assets, right? And, and then that's true. I mean, if you have a two-year loan in your portfolio as, as a mortgage investment, you, you can't just go to the street and sell it right away. However, we have a situation where we're only requiring people to have a one-year hold. And that's more of an SEC rule. After one year, you can liquidate your entire account with no penalty. There's no fee going in, there's no fee going out. You say, well, yeah, but where's the money come from? Okay, so a couple of things. One, as new money is coming into the fund from investors, the first thing that we do is we look at and say, before deploying that money in a new loan, is there anybody who wants to get out? Anybody wants to get out? Boom, we pay them off. The thing is, we are constantly getting paid off on loans in our portfolio. So even though we're doing loans of one year, two year, three year, even five year, the average duration is only about five and a half months. The reason for that is we're lending to people who can get conventional financing if given enough time. So when loans pay off, again, the first thing we do is is anybody want to get out. If they do, boom, here's the money, you're you're paid off in full. The other part is that we now have this additional, uh, you know, because let's say that, there's no new money coming into the fund anymore. And also let's say for whatever reason people cannot refinance their loans. So we're in a stuck portfolio. We also have the ability to sell loans on a platform which is our new website called privatemoneyloans.com. In fact, some of the big players who you know, uh, I know you know these people, they've actually called us to say we have money, we want to buy your loans because they know the kind of loans that we have. So there's a big demand for our loans. We could sell them at any time. The reason we don't is we got to make sure that we have another place to put that money. So there's an extreme liquidity that you don't find in alter- other alternative investments with our Pacific private money fund.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. So I uh, appreciate all of that. Uh, one, uh, w- one real quick question here. What book on investing would you recommend for our listeners?
0: Okay. So this is going to sound a little funny but um, actually, believe it or not, the Bible is probably the best. And I'll, uh, the reason is, if you look at both Proverbs and Psalms, there's an incredible amount of common sense in there. I also like uh, In Search of Excellence, uh, you know, which is an older book. But um, it, if you just look at the wisdom um, in in the Bible, it's it's really true. And I'm not trying to be a religious fanatic here. I'm just trying to say, just look at the words on the page and and take it to heart. Because... You know, the, the, one of the big things I think people have a problem with is, uh, they, they go for pie in the sky. You know, they, I'm going to just be able to get rich quick. And I look at it and I say, my whole premise is don't lose money. If people lose 20% on their investment in any point in time, which, you know, can happen in the stock market and other investments, you got to make 25% the next year just to break even. And then, and you still haven't, you haven't, still haven't made any money. So I like to take the step of a little bit, you know, a little bit slower and, uh, you know, be prudent with your investments. Okay.
1: So Edward, those, your, those your, your website for those who would like to know more.
0: Uh, you can go to PacificPrivateMoney.com and also PrivateMoneyLoans.com. And uh, PacificPrivateMoney.com, if you want to invest, you do have to be an accredited investor private money com. You uh, just have to register. Um, We're not going to blast you with a bunch of uh, spam or anything, but you do have to register and that, but you don't have to be an accredited investor.
1: Okay. Edward, thank you very much. And uh, uh, best wishes for your uh, two radio talk shows you had mentioned. And we really appreciate you uh, joining us here today. Thank you very much.
0: You're very welcome. We got to do this again because I got a lot more fun stories for you.
1: (laughs) Okay. We appreciate it. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Edward Brown in charge of investor relations at Pacific Private Money, speaking to us from the Bay Area of uh, California. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you all an enjoyable week
0: prior to investing.